one final paragraph of advice. Do not burn yourselves out. Be as I am, a reluctant enthusiast, a part-time crusader, a half-hearted fanatic. Save the other half of yourselves and your lives for pleasure and adventure. It is not enough to fight for the land. It is even more important to enjoy it while you can, while it's still here. So get out there and hunt and fish and mess around with your friends, ramble out yonder and explore the forests, climb the mountains, bag the peaks, run the rivers, breathe deep of that yet sweet and lucid air. Sit quietly for a while and contemplate the precious stillness, the lovely, mysterious, and awesome space. Enjoy yourselves. Keep your brain in your head and your head firmly attached to the body, the body active and alive. And I promise you this much. I promise you this one sweet victory over your enemies, over those desk-bound men and women with their hearts in a safe deposit box and their eyes hypnotized by desk calculators. I promise you this. You will outlive the bastards. Those are the words of Edward Abbey, and this is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Hello, Voyagers, and welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 264, and greetings from Santa Fe. I'm having a great time in New Mexico. I guess I long overlooked this state. There's such diversity here. There's so much to do. There's so much natural beauty. There's so many really interesting people, a really eclectic mix of people who are friendly and kind of just want to be left to live as the way that they want to. That sounds like a, a basic premise, I know. But it's really evident here. Now, this episode's about food, and it's about one chef in particular. He's the guest on this episode, and his name is Fernando Olea. He owns and runs and is the head chef of a restaurant called Sazon. Now... I've been unbelievably fortunate to have incredible meals all around the world. And I know like that sounds kind of braggy, but I don't know. This is a podcast about stories of my travels, so it's kind of self-indulgent by nature. But I was running through a list of some of my, my greatest meals after I had this one because I was so blown away. And... You know, I remember being in Thailand with my friend Kevin and we met the lady in the cowboy hat serving her pork knuckle cow kamoo. We had midnight fried chicken in Chiang Mai. In Asheville, I went to curate Chef Katie Button's place and had this <laughs> insane Spanish tapas meal. In Morocco, my partner Leslie and I randomly on a Friday ended up in a rug shop, the rug shop and when a family was breaking their fast with Friday couscous, they invited us in. In Brunei, I was invited to a stranger's home on the water. And 
they invited me back a couple days later and they made all my favorite foods from Indonesia that I had been talking to them about. In Kentucky at Bourbon Barrel Foods, Chef L'Oreal made us this brisket cornbread sandwich, which just like sent, sent our brains like just swimming with endorphins. I've been really fortunate. And sometimes I'll hang out with chefs because of this podcast and they'll take care of me and take care of me and Les when we're traveling together. It's never expected, but it's like, I'm just always so grateful when it happens. So I recorded this conversation with Chef Fernando and then afterwards we had a meal at his restaurant and he really took care of us. I mean, towards the end of it, I was like forcing food down. There was so much amazing food that came out. I think everything from the appetizer menu. He brought a flight of spirits. As you're about to hear, he's known for his moles, which are quite diverse. And so the night starts with just a flight of different moles. And you let them know which one's your favorite. And then they pair that with the protein of your choice and you know the, the entree that you picked. But we had these huge plump fried shrimps unbelievable beets. I'm not the biggest beet fan. Unbelievable beets. A soup with crab that was so phenomenal. There was like a a truffle taco dish, but it was a certain type of truffle that that grows on corn, he was explaining. It was just meal. It was plate after plate of absolutely unbelievable dishes. And he just walks the whole restaurant the whole night talking to everybody. And after every plate, you check in with us. How is it? And I'm just like, oh my God, incredible. And he just nods because he knows. He knows it's incredible. He knows his skill set. So yeah, we were just so fortunate to have this unbelievable meal. Chef Fernando is a badass. He, the food he makes is so amazing, innovative. So if you're ever in Santa Fe, you definitely need to go to Cezanne. But he's also got a really cool story and he's very knowledgeable on all things food and Mexican food and moles in particular. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Now, you need to head to New Mexico. You need to head to Santa Fe. If you haven't read any Edward Abbey, you should read his seminal work, Desert Solitaire. I've been reading a lot of him because he was from New Mexico and it's kind of been the backdrop to my quiet moments. But I'm having a great time. All right, I'm going to stop blabbering. Please enjoy this conversation with Fernando Alea. Chef. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Uh, it's a real honor to, to sit down with you in your restaurant. Uh, everything I read and everyone I talked to said that you're the man to talk to about food and that your restaurant is the place to eat in Santa Fe. So I'm very, very excited to be well, here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here at Sazon. You know, thank you for everything that you say. You make it sound so great. <laughs> so. Actually, I met um, Lois Ellen Frank and Walter Whitewater. 
Yes. And they uh, they said to say hi to you. So. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Lois is a great chef. Yeah, they're fantastic. And Chef Walter is, as well as, they do a lot of special events yeah. related with na Native American cuisine. Yeah, you know, I've, I've had people on this podcast from all around the world. We focus on travel, so obviously food is an integral part of travel. Um, and I had never had someone on to, to talk about Native American food, so that was really, really exciting for me. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you have the opportunity to chat with yeah. Louis. And yeah. I, have, I have so many questions about Mexican cuisine, uh, so I'm really, really happy to have well, you. It's a pleasure to have you here at Sazon, and I will try to, <laughs> to answer as much as I can, because when we talk of Mexican cuisine, it's something that it doesn't have beginning, it doesn't have end. You know, that's what I feel of Mexican cuisine. Yeah, uh, I, I, I see a lot of parallels almost to, to Chinese food in America. Because when I was growing up, I grew up in the suburbs outside of New York City. And my knowledge of Chinese food was like American Chinese food. And it didn't represent the diversity and complexity of the food from a very large country. And I think the same thing for Mexico. I grew up eating like hard shell Ortega tacos thinking like, oh yeah, I'm eating Mexican food. <laughs> well, it was great. That was what it was available, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, what's happening uh, historically in the United States, many people think that Mexican cuisine is Tex-Mex. Mm. And in a way it's great because they've been talking of Mexican cuisine. And in a bad way is that it's a misrepresentation of what is a cuisine, you know. Mm. The, the Tex food uh, is, can be great delicious, but but it, it really is not compared what is a cuisine. You know, the Mexican cuisine is, Brad, as you mentioned, a Chinese cuisine, yeah. one of the top cuisines in the world, you know. And something that have made Mexican cuisine so incredible is the fusion that you've been listening that word fusion probably in the past 20 years, everybody have used it right. and abused it. But fusion is something that happened for hundreds of years. And, and that's what makes Mexican cuisine so incredible and so rich. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of times people want to say, like, what is authentic? Whether it's what is authentic Indonesian food, what is authentic Nigerian food. But sort of to your point, things are always evolving and changing. People are always immigrating. Groups are always mixing. So what's authentic? I don't, I don't really know how you could define that. Well, you know, authentic... Uh, uh, It, in my opinion, will be something that a group of people eat in certain areas. Mm. And, and, and who will determine if it's authentic or if it's not authentic? Right. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's that, you know, I would say the, the food that I was raised eating is authentic. Mm. Yeah, but it's authentic of my family. That, that, that was what they used to prepare, you know. But, but talking in general, there are some basic recipes, some basic dishes that they are common, not only to certain families, but certain regions, certain states, certain mm. cities. And, and, and I think that that's authentic. Yeah. And we talk, talk authentic. Uh, not necessarily need to be a recipe, but certain flavors, cer certain characteristic flavors, you know, because you cannot say this is the right recipe. That's the right recipe that cook who? My aunt? Right. That's the right recipe or the right recipe that cook your aunt or your mother or, you know, it's, it's a lots of variations. But there are some basic rules without being established as a rules that apply to certain dishes, to certain sauce. 
You were born in Mexico City, right? That's right, Mexico City. How long did you live there? I lived there uh, 40 years. I've heard, I haven't been, but I've heard it's an amazing food city. You know, it's always been an incredible food city. And like I mentioned to you, big part of that is the fusion that have happened through years. Mm. You know, we have a lots of influence and influence, uh, lots of fusion from Asia, from Europe. And you see it present not only in the food, but in the culture. Mm. You know, you see the, the, the architecture. You go to, to, to some cities and you will think that you're in France. You know, you go to the cities and the churches, uh, because we, we, we have a lots of influence from Spain, you know, you yeah. see some incredible churches that you think that you're in Europe. Has the city changed much over time? Uh, of course, mm. yes, because what Mexico, what Mexico is not is the mariachi, mm. the sombrero, the charro. That's a tradition and it's great. But Mexico is as well an avant-garde city mm. and country that we here in the States, we, we don't realize that and we don't understand, you know, because we always uh, identified or we pretend to identify uh, people that have moved to this country looking for to, to superate themselves, to find a jobs. And, but but millions of people in Mexico right. that they are happy there and they live in, in an incredible country. Who was doing the cooking when you were growing up? Uh, my grandma in special events, mm. uh, uh, my mother every day, my sister as well followed the, the, the steps and my niece. Something that's happened in Mexican culture like happened in, I mean, in any other cultures, recipes are treasures that families holds for generations. And in, in Mexico, uh, uh, a family can have five daughters and the mother give the, the recipe to one daughter. And she carried that tradition. In that tradition, it's hard to get those recipes from, from the family. You know, you go and they invite you to eat any day. You come any day, you come next week and I will cook whatever dish that you enjoyed. And the recipe, yeah, I will give you the recipe, I will give you the recipe, and that I will, it never happened. How does that one daughter get chosen out of the five? Ah, uh, you know, I really don't know exactly what is the reason, but I imagine that it depends on the interest that that daughter put in the preparation of food. Mm. And, as, uh, and for that, the mothers uh, choose that, that daughter to, to give the recipes. In my particular case, it was different because I'm yeah. not a daughter, you know. And in, uh, uh, in my times, uh, men didn't have a space in the kitchen. Kitchens were for women. And in, in, uh, uh, I, was, I was a privileged person because I get recipes from my mother, from my aunt, from my sister. I rescue some recipes from grandma that I don't know why I get it. One of my aunts was so kind that she doesn't only brought me a recipes, but she, she put it with a little tape, oh. uh, how the chiles need to be roasted because some chiles, they are charred. So if you don't know, you say, well, I ruined this, this dish. But no, they are shard. And that's the flavor that you get in some of the moles, you know. And like I said, this aunt went to the extreme. She went to really teach me how things should be prepared. Did you know that you wanted to be a chef when you were young or did you think something you, else? You know, no, I, I've been a person that I've been doing what life is bringing to me. Mm. And I was so fortunate to find the profession of a chef. 
I've been doing this for 30 years and, and, and I couldn't find a better field. You know, it's, 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 I've been so lucky to get into this field. You know, what other business uh, people come happy to enjoy it, to celebrate? That's what we do in a restaurant. You know, we take care of these people that come to celebrate and, and it's amazing. It's a hard field to be successful in. Uh, I'm, I'm, my reference point is New York and restaurants often don't last long in New York. So if, if you have longevity in the restaurant business, you're, you're doing something special. Well, it's, it's historically, uh, restaurants, the, the chill life of restaurants is two years. Yeah. You know, and, and some fail, some pass the two years, but most, most of the restaurants is a failure. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of that is that it's so easy, you have a good dish, and everybody tells, oh, you should open a restaurant. Yeah. You know, but a restaurant is not to cook. A restaurant is a business like any other business. Mm. You know, have different different areas. And in, in, in a restaurant, you have the front of the house, the back of the house, the building, the building, you know, the ambience. So so you need to, to be on top of all, all those three elements. Yeah, do you have to think about not maybe not necessarily just what do you enjoy making, but like what would customers want to eat, even if it's something I wouldn't particularly want them want to be making for them? Well, you know, uh, surprisingly, I cook food for me. Ah. I don't cook for my guests. Wow. I cook food that I enjoy, food that I love, food that I was... Race, race with eating it in, in flavors that I find in my culinary adventure. In, in, uh, uh, I may be different than other chefs, you know, mm-hmm. but I feel that the way to please somebody is to prepare what please you. If like you don't that. find a way to please yourself, how do you expect somebody else will enjoy what you do? Mm. You know, so so maybe maybe I'm wrong, but but that's what I have done in my culinary adventure. You know, bringing the flavors of my family in in adjusted to my palate and in in hoping that the guest will enjoy it. And I think that they've been very fortunate because my guests seem like they've been enjoying it, even though it haven't been an easy trip. Yeah, you know, it's been I've been having some 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 uh, uh, stones in my road where as I've been moving in the culinary adventure, uh, uh, just to sharing with you. So um, I I start serving moles in Santa Fe, and in customers used to come. My staff offered the moles, and 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 the reply of customers was shaking their head, like was something disgusting. And say, no, no, mole, no. No, I don't want to hear about moles. Really? And, and, and I get to a point that I was so frustrated because I know that the moles are amazing. Maybe some people do a bit moles, so you make you can cook a bit mole, but in general, moles are amazing. Those those are the sauce of Mexican cuisine. And, and uh, like I said, I spent some time trying to offer moles, and it was hard to sell them because just people have in the mind they weren't good. From the spice or just like visually? No, yes, that they weren't good wow. because probably they try a mole in some place that it wasn't mm. good and they get the idea that all the moles were bad. So something strike me and what I start doing, I start sending an amused bush with the moles of the day. Ah. That they were anything from four to seven or eight moles. Like a flight almost, like, yeah. Yeah. 
a little simple. That's a, and that's what we still do at Sazon. Oh, cool. That's that's the beginning of the meals. You know, do a little amuse bush with the molles, and uh, uh, I I get it in the nail. In that moment, people start trying molles, and start ordering molles that otherwise they would happen. You know, how long did that take to sort of like get people's palates used to it? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Yeah, um, well, from from the point where people were like, no, we don't want moles, to now where they're like, yes, we want moles. How long did it take to make that work? It took me at least like a couple years, Mm. a couple years, you know, uh, um, but but people get it, people get it, you know, because I said maybe moles are bad, maybe I'm trying to put in the table something that is not appealing for the American palate. Huh. But it wasn't that. What's happened is, like I just mentioned to you, that maybe they eat a bad mole and they get the idea that all the mole is supposed to taste like that, you know? Because uh, many people think that mole is the sauce with chocolate. Right. And, and yeah, some moles have chocolate, but not all the moles have chocolate. And it doesn't need to have chocolate in order to be called mole. Mole comes... From the Nahuatl language, moli, that means mix of ingredients. And, and, uh, uh, and it's just that, you know, the only common ingredient in moles is chile, no chocolate. And it, could they come from Puebla, right? They come from all over Mexico. Okay. The, the, the mole... I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I can, I can tell that you've been studying your moles. Well, I, I had somebody on once who specializes in tamales in New York City. Um, oh, and he's from Puebla and he was telling me. Uh, so maybe he was just proud of his mole. Yeah, <laughs> probably that's what it is. You know, many people think that the moles come from Oaxaca. Ah. You know, and uh, uh, that's a, a south, southwest state. And, and yes, Oaxaca have a, an incredible cuisine. And have what they, they call the seven the moles of the seven regions. Each region have their own mole, and they are amazing. Completely different the moles, and they are an incredible, incredible uh, flavors. But the mole that give the name to moles and the mole that is been more popular all over the world is been the mole poblano. Ah, uh, yes. And yes, the mole poblano is mole from the city of Puebla and is the state of Puebla. And in, in, uh, that particular mole was created in a convent in the city of Puebla. And they said the nuns were expecting the visit of the Archbishop, Archbishop of Mexico. And they wanted to prepare something very special. The nuns went to the kitchen, started putting ingredients together. And there comes the mole poblano. I see. They said the angels came and helped the nuns. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I really don't know, but you know, when when you when you think that the mole poblano have over thirty ingredients, uh, I think that they probably need some divine intervention. Yeah. <laughs> it was it common because you were referring to dishes from your childhood. Given that moles are so complex in the sense that they have so many ingredients, was it common for for people to be making them at home? No, no mole poblano. No mole poblano. Mole poblano is, has, has been uh, more something that has been done in special occasions. Okay. You know? And, and even nowadays, if you go to a small villages, it's incredible. It's magic what you see there, you know? Oh. These na- native Mexicans grinding everything in a, in a metate, 
that is a flat stone with a stone roller where they grind everything and and doesn't take hours to prepare. Sometimes take days to prepare. Well, you know, it's it's a, an intensive love work, you know, that that creates something so special in a weddings or baptisms or things like that. I see. So then how did you did you have any recipes from grandma then that were mole recipes? Oh yes, grandma. Oh, okay. My mother, my grandma, my aunt, you know, my sister, you know, a, a lots of different recipes. Are those sold here? And those are uh, the ones that I use here. Very yes. cool. Yeah. When you first came to the States to live, it was Minnesota? Minneapolis, yes. Minneapolis. What Min- brought you there? My, uh, my wife. Uh, okay. My wife brought me to Minneapolis. You, and know? you mentioned Tex-Mex. Like, at that time, what was the state of Mexican food in the U.S.? Was it mostly Tex-Mex? The, the, what I used to eat in Minneapolis, I used to eat Taco Bell. No. Yes. <laughs> wow. And for me, Taco Bell was a treat. Oh, really? You know, it was the closest that I have from Mexican food. Wow. Besides the food that I prepare. And it was a, an, a, an area in, in St. Paul where they sell uh, Mexican ingredients. And I used to go there every other week or whatever to buy ingredients and prepare some of my food. Oh, you know? I see. But, but it wasn't really... Available in, in what was available, there was some restaurants that call it Mexican, but they were more Tex-Mex. Yeah, you know, and like I said, they were great. They were some of the restaurants; they were delicious. But, but that was that Tex-Mex. Is that where you had your first restaurant? Was it Minnesota? No, 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 no. I've been many trades, you know. Really, profession, business, administration in Mexico. Moved to the states. I get into the restaurant. At the same time, I studied for a cosmetologist, so I have a beauty salon. I work in a, oh, wow. in a cosmetologist. From there, uh, uh, moved to Santa Fe for furniture. I have a furniture store. Wow. So we moved to Santa Fe. And in Santa Fe, I, I bought a, an, amazing, an amazing place called Bert's Burger Bowl. Oh, yes, I read this. And okay. Bert's Burger Bowl was a landmark in Santa Fe, the... The great chili cheeseburgers and a very very funny slogan that that used to say uh, one location worldwide. Mm. So, yeah, I was curious about the whole red chili green chili thing. If that's specific to New Mexico or if that's also common in Mexico? No, 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 no. New, the green chili and the red chili is New Mexico. Okay. Green chili, red chili, and Christmas. Yeah, yeah, and Christmas. it's an amazing chili. That's what is incredible, you know. Mexican cuisine have over 200 different types of chilies. Mm. A difference we talk New Mexico, the center of the cuisine is the, the, the green chili when it's fresh and the red chili when it's ripe. Mm. You know, but but this uh, New Mexican cuisine is famous all over the world. The Southwest cuisine and it's it's just amazing. Yeah. You know that that green chili when it's fresh and I don't know if you have been here in town when they are roasting the chilies. No. Oh my God, it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing wow. the aromas when they are roasting the chilies. You go and buy sacks of of green chili, fresh green chili. How often do they do that? They do that. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly the months right now, but they do it uh, uh, at something like between July and August. Mm. July, August, September, 
something around those months. Yeah. And, and like I said, and you see it in many, many uh, supermarkets, special supermarkets in certain locations that they come and they roast the chilies outside in, the, in there and, and you just get in line with buy your sack and they roast the chilies for you. Oh, that's amazing. It's I amazing. bet that smells really wild. Oh, <laughs> no, the, the smell of the city is incredible. Ah. Incredible. You know, unique in the world. Yeah, there's also something else that's unique about New Mexico that I've been trying to like figure out. And I, I, I maybe I'm totally off base here, but you know, th- this is land that in essence, was was stolen and, and re-stolen and gone through so many changes. And there there was nuclear testing here. There was a, a very strange history, but I think it's it's created a situation in that a lot of people feel that they can come here and be unique and be creative and no one will sort of bother them for however type of lifestyle they want to live. I don't know if I'm off base with that. No, no, no. I think that, I think that you are right, you know. Uh, and especially talking Santa Fe, you know. Yeah. Santa Fe is an amazing city and is one of the vortex of the world where the energy is, is concentrated. Mm. Many people come to charge their, their selves, their energy. Mm. You see artists that they come and that's what they do, you know. And it's, it's an amazing city. It's really, really, really special, you know. It's, it's we're fortunate the ones that we live in Santa Fe to be here, you know. It's it's amazing. Is the the culinary scene competitive here, or is there like a, a brotherhood or kinship among chefs? You know, uh, I don't think that I don't see it as a compet competitive. I see it as a, a friendship, you know, we know everybody. We, and everybody does their own, their own food. Everybody mm. does their food. We have an incredible uh, uh, array of very talented chefs, you mm. know. Incredible, incredible. So for, for the size of the city, you know, the restaurants that we have and the, the quality of the restaurants is incredible. Uh, Santa Fe has been coming a culinary destination. Yeah, you know? That's one of the reasons I'm here. <laughs> oh, great. Well. I get to talk to people about food and when they're speaking about um, their childhood and there's memories of food, you can see their face light up. It changes. They're, they're having happy memories. Um, you Right here in Santa Fe, we're geographically very close to Mexico. Um, there are people who travel for vacation from Mexico. There are Mexican-American immigrants. Is there any pressure to sort of get it right in terms of making moles and things like that that would remind people of their their youth back home well you know the pressure is every day mm. the pressure is every day trying to satisfy the palate of my guests and friends but of course uh like i always said you know you can fool somebody that doesn't know the food of certain country mm. But the people that come from, from that country, you know, they are the biggest critics. Yeah. And I always like, love to take care of, 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 as we call my paisanos, people from Mexico. And, and I feel honored when they enjoy my cuisine. Mm. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's very, very special. I have served a couple presidents of Mexico. And, you know, if they, somebody can know food because they get the best, the best of the country, you know, wow. and, and they have enjoyed my cuisine. And so I have developed some relation there. 
Weren't you also chosen by Michelle Obama for her program? Uh, I have the opportunity to travel to Washington with a program here in Santa Fe called Cooking with Kids. That has, it's great, great, great program uh, that is in the schools and in, in which they teach kids about cuisines of the world. Amazing. In 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 it's very complete because not only talk about food but talk about geography, talk about music, talks about history, and and it's very very complete and very special program. And like I mentioned, I was I have the opportunity to go to to the White House when when the Obamas were were in the presidency. The, mm -hmm. the, Mr. Obama was in the presidency, and I have the 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 privilege to be there with a movement was called Chefs Moving to School. And I have the, the the big distinction to be mentioned one of the three chefs that Mrs. Obama mentioned for their standing participation, bringing, in my particular case, the flavors and the culture of Mexico. Oh, that's so cool. I want to ask you about uh, mezcal. Oh. I, I know I know very little. Uh, I'm a I'm a, a novice when it comes to this. Um, but I read a story about how you sort of rediscovered mezcal later in life, and I was wondering if you could share that. Well, yes, you know, it's so funny because, like I mentioned, born and raised in Mexico City in my early 20s, uh, we used to party like everybody had done it, you know, and at the end of the night, the only thing that was available was to buy, go to the liquor store, knock in the little window, and they give us, without a, a fail, it always was mezcal. In in uh, after that, I remember that mezcal for me was a memory of drinking something like a kerosene. <laughs> it was like drinking gasoline or something like that. It was was kind of like disgusting. <laughs> so so I was I had the privilege to be invited by the Mexican government, close with other chefs and restaurateurs to Mexico, and. Uh, they, they took care of us, they invited us to different sites, uh, they prepared different meals. And one of the last meals that they prepared, they did a mezcal tasting. And when they did the mezcal tasting, I wanted to hide on the, on the, <laughs> the, the tablecloth because it brought the memory of that uh, kerosene drinking. And, and I couldn't hide, so I had to, to sample the mezcal. And for my surprise, my eyes were as big as they could be, you know, tasting this incredible spirit that I discovered at that time, you know. And, and from there on, and I'm telling you probably 2006, from there on I've been promoting mezcals in Santa Fe, mezcals, 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 mezcals. And, and uh, uh, it, it was a point that I thought mezcal never going to fly. You know, even though I like it, I love it, and I tr keep trying to promote it, and suddenly it happened. Now mezcal get their momentum. Now people start knowing mezcals. They are some some cities that they have a, a special places where they specialize in mezcal, called mezcalerias. Mm. You know, and it really have evolved, and it happened the same thing with the Mexican food. You know, I used to go to Mexico. I was the president founder of the Mexican Restaurant Association in the United States and Canada. And, and uh, I used to go to Mexico in, in the, the, the part in Mexico 
like like the Association of Restaurants in Mexico, used to tell us, you are the ambassadors of the Mexican cuisine in, in the United States and Canada, and we are so proud of you. And I used to laugh. You know, I said, well, you know, we are, yeah, we are trying to do our job there, but what are you doing here in Mexico? Because in those days, it wasn't any, any, uh, oh no, it wasn't, there were some restaurants, but not too many that served Mexican cuisine, you know? And, and I used to laugh at that time, but things have evolved, incredible. Now some of the top chefs in the world, they are from Mexico. Mm. They are in Mexico. They are preparing incredible food. They, they've been rescuing, rescuing the, the Mexican cuisine, you know, that was lost. Do you think that evolution comes from sort of the popularity of like travel TV and food TV and media? Well, of course, influence, mm. influence. And, and, you know, and when something is recognized... Of course, everybody wants to, to, to be part of it. It's, uh, uh, in 2011, if I'm not wrong, uh, the Mexican cuisine have the incredible distinction by the UNESCO to be named uh, Patrimony Intangible of the Humanity. Mm. The first cuisine that, that received that recognition. And, and with that, Many things happen. Many things happen. You know, everybody start paying attention to to Mexico. Everybody start paying attention to the native Mexicans, uh, incredible cooks, and they did a tour over Europe and you know, showing the Mexican cuisine, the flavors. What makes a good mezcal? Like, what's different about that mezcal of your youth that tasted like fire versus what you had at the government symposium? Well. You know, we can talk of mezcal, but I, I wouldn't limit to mezcal. Mm. I can tell you that the spirits of Mexico and wines as well, they have evolved, they have grown, and, and now they are incredible. You know, mezcal was something that was, mezcal as tequila was, there was that, that type of a spirit that you just want to gasolate and get the buzz, you know, and who would drink more, and now have changed. Mm. Now tequila and mezcal and all the spirits produced from agave, you know, they have evolved so much to be an amazing spirit to sip, to enjoy it, you know, uh, as an aperitive, as a digestive, or, or as a part of your meal, to pair it with your meal. Uh, what make a good mezcal? What make a big mezcal? Well, you know, it's just preference. It's preference, you know. Uh, we have now what they what they call the ultra premium spirits in Mexico, mezcals, tequilas, that they've been rested initially uh, two years, and from there anything from four, eight, up to twelve and fifteen years, that they are so refined, so delicious, like any fine cognac, mm. you know. And in in it's that point, what 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 do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy the tradition that that still is strong spirit? You know, or you want something more sophisticated, and that depends of each palate. It's made from agave, right? They are made from agave. Uh, uh, just to mention some some spirits made from agave, uh, the group of spirits is known as uh, mezcals. Yeah, and in the mezcal group, we have bacanora, sotol, uh, tequila, mezcal, raicilla different spirits 
in each of them, they are produced with a specific spirit. Uh, the only one, I'm sorry, with a specific agave. In the case of the tequila, as you, you well know, is the blue agave or webinar agave. In the case case of the sotol, is called the agave is the desert spoon that is a small agave found in the northern states of Mexico, and you find it in the south states of United States as well. Uh, there is there is the bacanora, you know, that is produced in in in, in the state of. Uh, Sonora. Do you have all those here? Yeah, we have oh, all those. We I'm have excited. one of the best selections of, of spirits of Mexico, not only in the States, but in many States, mm. you know. And, and uh, uh, the, only, the only of these spirits that is produced with more than one variety is the mezcal. Mezcal is produced with up to 30-some varieties of agaves, wow. some of them wild. Do you cook for yourself when uh, you're not working? Of of course, yes, of course. I know a lot of chefs that say, uh, like, I, I don't want to cook for myself. And you know what? Uh, uh, I, I, I cook for myself because <laughs> I'm in the restaurant every day, so, so oh, okay. cooking here every day. So if somebody's coming to Santa Fe, of course, I'm going to recommend coming to your restaurant. Oh, thank you. But where else? should they go to get sort of the New Mexico Santa Fe experience? Well, all depends, you know. Uh, uh, we have some traditional places in Santa Fe, mm. and, and I was going to mention some, like maybe miss, miss others, but with no, no intention to do it. If somebody wants to come and discover the Southwest cuisine, you know, uh, I, would, I would think that uh, should be Tomasitas, The Shed, uh, Maria's, uh, to mention some, cool. you know, Rancho de Chimayo should be some very representative of the New Mexican cuisine. And, you know, uh, uh, the red and green chili that, that is, like mentioned earlier, delicious. Yeah. And, and if they want to discover flavors of other chefs, we have so many talented chefs, you know, uh, I would spend here a uh, half hour mention yeah. them in, in how great they are, but but uh, uh, very, very free. So one great friend that I have, a great chef, uh, Martin Rios, you know, from Martin Restaurant. We have uh, 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 Geronimos, Chef Slim. We have Compound. You know, and, and, and I can keep mentioning. Yeah. All depends what do they want, uh, how casual, how formal their their meal they, they are looking for. What do you like to do when you're not cooking? You know, I usually in the restaurant all the time. Really? Most of the time I spend in the restaurant. And, and, and that's what I like to do. Mm. You know, I really enjoy it. I, like I told you, I've been very, very fortunate to find my right, my right path, you know, and, and yeah, that's rare. And, and, you know, and and it takes takes time, mm -hmm. takes time, and, and I wish everybody could find their their, their niche, you mm -hmm. know, what what you feel comfortable. I love, I love, I love the restaurant. I'm a person that I'm not in the kitchen. There've been some years that I've been in the kitchen, but what I do at Sazon. I, I stroll from the kitchen to the dining area and you see me talking with every customer 
and checking what comes out from my kitchen and 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 and, and that that make it great because what I want to do for my guests is to really create an experience, you mm. know. There are so many great places in in and I want to be a little above that to provide an experience for my guest. Every night you have the main menu, but then you also have like a chef's menu that you do, right? We have different things. We have the regular menu. Mm. I know some some chefs like to try to do seasonal. Uh, I change. I think a little different. I prefer to have a menu that my guests can enjoy through the year long, because they keep coming, mm. and I want them to to be able to find what they enjoy it if it's in the regular menu. And as well, we have some specials and and something else that we do on a daily basis, two times in the in the evening, at five and at seven thirty. We do what I call the degustación. And the degustación is an example of my food served in 10 different courses. Wow. And, and we, pair, we do a pairing as well with some spirits of Mexico. How often does that change? Uh, that, that varies, you know, every six months. Every, it, it's not really a time, mm. you know. Uh, it, that is based more than anything in how... I'm being inspired. Mm. What I can bring different, you know. So, so that's what what makes change the, the degustación. Very cool. Well, I'm very excited uh, to be coming back here in an hour to have dinner. Um, that's it, great, and I'm gonna see you there and yeah, I'm serve a special food for you. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, it's it's really again a pleasure and an honor to to have your time and to share the space with you and to to share your story with my listeners. So thank you so much, Chef. The the honor is mine. The pleasure is mine. You know that you consider to to have this interview with me. I feel so honored and I'm so thankful to you. Cheers. All right, Voyagers. That is a wrap on episode 264 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Whew. This was awesome. Thank you so much to Fernando and Shannon and the staff at Saison for treating us so well. You can always tell when people sort of know the travel lifestyle and take care of you. And it's amazing. I love doing this. So I hope you enjoyed this one. I will have more episodes coming to you from New Mexico. But I also hope you're out there creating your own adventures and your own stories. There's so much to be seen all over the world. It's not difficult to make adventures. So go out there and do it. All right, Voyagers, that's a wrap. I will catch you very, very soon. And please, please, please take care of each other. Bye-bye.